podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me again is Will. Say hey. Hey, everybody. All right. Uh, unfortunately, our buddy Bruce couldn't make it this time, although he uh, got sent to the carousel. So hopefully he will be renewed with a uh, fresh new uh, life clock. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't figured out what we're doing, we're talking about from 1975, the third of our kind of uh, 70s troublesome um, fantasy epics that would be Logan's Run. Well, it's certainly a run, let me tell you. Such an uh, amazing film to see. Given it appeared basically right before Star Wars, this movie is everything you'd expect a before Star Wars came out science fiction movie to be. Uh, put out by MGM Studios. It had originally slated for a $5 million budget, and it ended up getting a $12 million budget after all was said and done, which was the most expensive MGM film that they had made in 10 years at that time. Uh, also, it made about double that at the box office, which was considered a resounding success at that time. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like mid-70s was a good time to be in, the, uh, in Hollywood. They were making a lot of big movies. It was also a weird time because we're talking the transition of the older directors were replaced by the newer directors. So, you know, right as this movie's in production, uh, George Lucas is about to get the green light for Star Wars. So, and, you know, this is, as I was telling Will ahead of time, this is probably the definitive pre-Star Wars movie because it's got very 70s looks to it, but the special effects are not at that caliber. Oh, well, what's remarkable to me about this film when I reviewed it was how absolutely cheap it looked for such an expensive production like it just feels like a very expensive tv movie it does not feel like a theater run film Um, no it doesn't like there's and i don't know if it's a cinematography choice or what i mean those costumes are all pretty i mean they, they put some money into the costume even though they're barely in some cases covering anything well, yeah, there's a lot of funny stories about the uh, about the um, costuming, actually, but I'll get into that later. Um, the special effects were considered groundbreaking at the time, and they were, um, because science fiction was not a genre that was super popular, but MGM had a couple of hits with uh, Soylent Green and Westworld, and this was basically the third one they were taking a, um, a pass on. Yeah, and, you know, both those films are kind of low when it comes to special effects uh so we get this one this one actually has you know i would call it more they looked at it's a star trek level of a uh production design you know budget versus say like westworld where it's we're just reusing what you know western sets and uh soil and greenwich using just old you know uh we're just crowded cities and you know big old you know like practical effects this one they tried a little bit of both, but uh, and you know most of the big special effects are really more in the uh, computer, uh, you know, and I guess you call Logan's uh, interrogation stuff, which I give credit. Now I will say I think we all agree that the guns are probably the worst special effects in this movie. I would absolutely disagree with that. Really? <laughs> I think See, the I- costume for the character of Box is the worst special effect in this film. <laughs> um, the guns, <laughs> the guns are interesting. They used, uh, I think it was propane. And when you pull the trigger, it would ignite propane to give them that distinctive um, flash effect. Uh, they didn't always work. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's the problem. You can tell these are 
they they weren't really tested well. And I, I think they'd make a good joke about you know he uh, Logan's missing his shots. I'm like, yeah, these guns are not that effective. No, they're not. Um, so this is based on a book by William Nolan and George Johnson called Logan's Run. Um, yep. It came out in 1965, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the book. So the quick story of this is in the far flung future of 21 something. Uh, mankind now lives in this in domed cities and is caught up in a life that consists of nothing but hedonistic pleasure and doing what you want. The catch is that everybody has this thing implanted in their hand called a life clock or a, or a life flower, and it glows different colors as you progress through the stages of your life. And in the book, when you turn 21, you go to what's called a sleep shop, which is basically a suicide booth style affair. Uh, they give you some kind of gas to get you super high and happy, and then you die. And with the promise of that you're being renewed. Um, people who decide they don't want to do that are called runners and they are chased down by agents of the deep sleep shops called the Sandmen, which our hero quote unquote Logan is. And at some point Logan dip and in the book, it's a little different. Um, in the book, his, his, his last day is approaching and the computer that runs the mankind city decides okay we want to find out where these runners go and destroy it so you go find that out and in the movie it's a little different for reasons which i'll get into when i go into book versus movie but he does he has wacky adventures along the way and the book ends on a hopeful note um the movie is kind of like that <laughs> yeah and i mean it's an interesting book. I, I, I wouldn't call it the most groundbreaking concept, but it, I think for 65, it's a good time. I mean, we're kind of at that weird period where it, for, for novels, sci-fi novels are really starting to get fascinatingly, you know, complex. I mean, we're, what, what two years before Dune? So it's... Two years before Dune, but we're after 1984 and we're after uh, Fahrenheit 451, uh, both yeah. of which sort of exemplified a man versus the system sort of attitude about dystopic... Uh, worlds, um, and this book is very much in that vein. Although the yeah. thing, it's the dystopia it's warning against is the dystopia of the hippie lifestyle becoming normalized. Yeah. Which uh, a critic uh, of the movie, of the book at the time, excuse me, wrote that it was basically a warning against the dangers of unchecked feminism, which they, which the critic found to be laughable on some things. I don't know yeah. if that was the intent of the book, but you can see where they got that. I mean, it's. I mean, that's. Book, we're talking book critics of the uh, 60s who are probably not a fan of the genre anyway, which is unfortunately, you know, sci-fi, you know, we had to deal with the fact that as sci-fi fans, they still, the sci-fi novel didn't have still never gotten true respect by a lot of critics over the, over the decades, really. But uh, so this film, interesting enough, when I, I think we both were reading, took a long time to get adapted. It kind of got passed around. Lots of different people explored the idea of adapting it. And I think, uh, you know, something we should point out by the time they finally got this off the ground, they had to make significant changes, basically not just because it's the 70s, but also just the idea of trying to cast a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds in this movie, not something Warner Brothers felt comfortable with at all. Or no, I guess MGM, that's right, Warner Brothers owns it now, but MGM. So, you know, the biggest change is instead of being 21, they raised it to 30. And then they cast guys in their late 30s to play uh, most of the parts. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, 
Michael York is the lead in this, and he is definitely over 30 in this film, and yeah, it's real obvious. obvious. Oh. Yeah, there's no way he's 25. Uh, no, there is not. Uh, real interesting uh, effect is in the book, the sleep shop is sort of bland. You just sort of go there and they give you an injection. You get high for a bit and you die. Uh, the studio wanted to spice up this scene, so they invented the concept of carousel, which we made a joke about at the beginning of this uh, podcast. Yeah, and uh, our buddy Bruce uh, often likes the reference yeah, when he wants to get rid of someone. The, the carousel with you. <laughs> That's right. Um Carousel is this idea that you basically a bunch of people you put on a goofy mask, you enter into this chamber, uh, you levitate up to the ceiling and get blasted with a laser, <laughs> and then you're <laughs> renewed into a new life, or at least that's what they tell you. But you're probably just dumped in a dumped in a bag and thrown away. Um, yeah, and the explanation of behind all this is never clear. It's, it's. I mean, I, I, I think it's fair to say whoever set up the dome came up with that just as an excuse to try to keep everybody happy. Uh, in the book, it's more about resource uh, allocation. That as more as more and more people are born, they want to. They, they, you know, resources are getting scarcer. So in order to limit the resource, you know, to keep things in balance, they just kill people early. And, yeah. you know, if you only live 21 years, you you know, it doesn't matter what the population size is because you're just not using up that many resources. And, you know. And, and, and theoretically, you're not having, ten, you know, I mean, there's an interesting parallels, like, just like soil green to population problems like in India and China and stuff like that, where, you know, you know, cultures, they have, you know, children for as long, they have massive amounts of children. So they, uh, their population density gets insane. So, and, and, you know, when you're in a, the idea of you're in a fixed location, you would want population control because that would just, it, it just keeps everything in, in some kind of balance. So there's a communism fear also, you could say this book has, which, uh, you know, a lot of science fiction books of the 50s and 60s had some communism pro-negative parallels. Yeah, I mean, you also this is also the era of the movie ZPG, which is a fairly obscure movie, but it's it's actually really bad. But it, it, the theme is zero population growth. I mean, that's the, the title of the film. It's really it's not great. Uh, maybe we should cover it sometime, but maybe not today. Yeah, I, that's I was gonna say we threw that was like good call, good pick. Uh, but and you know in the 70s you know we're also dealing with the idea you've got the baby boomers basically right? having you know are now the largest generation out there so the, obviously there's fairs that their offsprings will be bigger than the next one which actually ironically turns out to be opposite baby boomers don't have as many kids as their as their parents <laughs> so. yeah well people i mean Methusian logic sort of dictated a lot of people's fears uh, especially after world war ii just because it was sort of an era of optimism and you always have the other side of well maybe we're getting too optimistic oh no maybe this is bad you know there's a lot of complicated stuff going on there but let's let's talk about the movie so yeah. my favorite part of this movie is the carousel scene but my second favorite part of this film is when they escape the city so logan goes on a run and he's been given instruction to go find this place called Sanctuary. And Sanctuary is this mythical place where all the people who don't want to die at 30 go when they escape the city if they get away from the Sandman. Um, he and a character called Jessica Six uh, escape the city. Uh, this is totally spoiler, so, but you know, you're not going to yeah. go watch this film. Actually, you probably should, but you're probably not. Um, escape the city, and they end up in this really cold, like Arctic style ice cave looking thing. 
and along the walls are all these frozen naked people which is a an incredible scene like when i first saw this movie the first time because i've seen this movie a couple times uh i didn't know how they did the effect i was like are those mannequins what what is it they look so realistic well the answer is and this is fun fact number one those are people those are extras they painted white and put behind layers of plastic to look frozen and they had to stand still for like 10 minutes at a time it's an amazing shot and then it's completely ruined by my least favorite thing in this whole movie which is the character of box box (laughs) is the dumbest looking robot i've ever seen in a production of this of this level at this time it is just right out of the 1950s it's a big old box uh it's got the goofy like um dryer vent arms cover things and the mask is really cheap and it just looks so bad the actor is there's an actor in the mask who is the voice of box that's roscoe leroy brown who if it has a a spider-man uh animation fan he's the voice of kingpin and quite a few characters on the yeah and did a lot of those kind of uh he was just one of those great voiceover actors so they put him in this awful silver rubber it's mask. so bad it is <laughs> so bad and it, no you couldn't see out of it because there's the eyes his eyes are covered too so he's basically having to guess that as they're moving him around what's oh they, they weren't on. moving him around he moved himself like there was no there was no automation in this suit it was literally him shuffling around trying to make it look like he was on wheels and at one point in the movie you can see where he almost falls over but doesn't and they just left it in the shot. <laughs> and it's, it's just so, that scene is so bad. And also it has one of the best edits and worst edits of all time because it's hilarious and terrible. So in the original cut of this film, which they had to cut down to get a PG rating because this movie is rated PG. Um, yeah, despite all the, well, they had to cut a bunch of stuff out. I mean, there was a lot more. Um, oh, yeah. Box basically said, you know. The should have been R somehow they fought for a before they realized well they they spent a lot of money on it so they wanted the widest audience before they um figure out that box is freezing people uh in blocks uh he basically says i'm an artist and i would like to make a sculpture of you uh could you please disrobe (laughs) they're like uh yeah whatever and they do so in the movie they take their clothes off and then they're in like these fur blankets for about two minutes and then they put their clothes back on because the scene where he asked to carve them in the, as a statue is cut but they didn't cut the ro- disrobing and re-robing scene so it's like they take their clothes off they talk for a couple of minutes in blankets and then they put their clothes back on and it's hilarious yeah and it's and it, it's one of those cases where like why, why 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 did you even bother at this point i mean i get it see that's the problem see this is a mid-70s film a lot of mid-70s film had significant nudity as they had the R rating they or an X rating and this film probably was developed to be an R rated movie and then they decided to go for PG because you know we also we didn't talk about the beauty shop sequence and we didn't talk about the circuit which is basically <laughs> Tinder with a teleporter oh, yeah because it's not interesting I mean uh, you can sum it up as the lifestyle of these people is abject hedonism in all its forms and that's I mean yeah. there's an orgy sequence uh, in the love shop, which is full of like pink dust and smoke and things, and that sequence is basically cut. Um, you can find it on the DVDs, I think. Um, yeah. But they were, and what they did was they they reimagined an orgy as a dance number, and they covered all the people's appropriate bits with like tape and makeup and things. 
and it doesn't work. Like, you're like, yeah, of course you had to cut this. Holy hell, guys, you were going for PG? What was your problem? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, why did you even... I mean, you can tell somebody was told one thing and somebody was told another thing after the fact. And that's sort of one of the problems with this movie is there's a lot of decisions made that are not... You know what you can call. I, I'm not even gonna say is it appropriate for PG because back there was a period of time we could get away with a partial nudity in a PG movie before there was PG-13. Right. This is a like prime that. candidate for. Yeah. This is probably one of the films that's mentioned when PG-13 is discussed. Is well, Logan's Run got a PG rating, but look at it. That's really not PG as we envisioned it. Um, so the other. So this this movie does have a lot of visual things going on visually, like the costuming is all. 70s retro future or um uh fun fact none of the women in the costumes and none of the men either wore underwear of any kind so no bras no no panties no boxers no briefs um which is more evident in some scenes than in others uh because because oh, again yeah. they were like I mean, well it's a hedonistic society um fun fact michael york kept the robe he wore in the relaxing sequence the big uh Sandman I robe because actually it looked very comfortable, so I, I certainly don't blame him. It's definitely a, a, I mean, it's a hit, it's, it's a cool looking robe. I, I've always said they, despite the fact the outfits are very um, <laughs> revealing, they're also very well made. You can tell these are the kind of outfits you would want to wear in the mid 70s if you're in that I kind mean, of lifestyle. They're, they're, certainly <laughs> the, they're certainly the future. I mean, and honestly, the visual shots are great. Um, the walking around sequences were filmed in a, a uh, what's it called? A basically a mall in Texas, the Dallas Market Center, yeah. uh, for where you see most people walking around. Uh, a lot of stuff was on sets, but a lot of it was also filmed in various places around Texas. Um, yeah, you see that there's a very 70s. I mean, the one thing I noticed, and you'll remember this, is it reminds me of like walking around some of the presidential court at UT. Like in the, you know, Will and I went to college together and the dorms we lived in were kind of built in the late 60s, early 70s. And they have a very specific style to them. And these, this, uh, you know, the sets have that same aesthetic. You know, this, the way everything's got kind of curves. You know, I, I almost jokingly said, was this movie shot at the Marriott Marquis? In yeah, place? I mean, there's the aesthetic, but. Let's talk about the char- the story and the character. So the story in brief is what I just said is, uh, you know, first Logan, Logan's told by the evil, by the computer to find sanctuary. They take even some of his life away. He's supposed to be 25. He's some. Yeah, they, they, they take his life flower and they make it flash. And now he has to go run. So he goes and runs and his buddy Francis chases him and he meets up with a lady called Jessica Six and they escape the city. And there's a whole bunch of wandering around in the ruins of Washington, D.C. Um, and then they find an old man who's lived for, uh, they say in the in the film, 100 years, but it's not that long. Um, no, not possible. And... He's not that old. But little nutty and it's, it's played by peter houston who you know also one of those great actors of, who can just ramble and you'll find fascinating i mean he's just one of those genius yep. guys you know yeah so a uh, perfect choice and he had worked with the director many times in the past this is the uh, same thing with michael this guy uh, michael anderson the director basically brought as many people he'd worked with in the past that he trusted on this film. I, mean, I could, you could tell this may have been a little out of his range. He, the biggest film he'd done before this was Around the World in 80 Days, which did win Best Picture in the in the 50s, but also nowhere near as ambitious as this film probably was in the development 
Um, but yeah, so they bring him back. Well, they, they go through the box sequence. The they meet this guy. They, they go back to the city. They break back in by going through a water tank, basically. Uh, yet another reason to just see someone in revealing clothing that's now clinging to them because of water, because the 70s. Um, yeah. And then they interrogate um, Logan about where he's been and what he's done. And they're like, where's Sanctuary? And he's like, there is no sanctuary. It sucks. And the computer can't deal with it, so it explodes. And everything blows up. And then they all have to go live in the wilderness as, as normal people or something. It is so boring for such an action-packed movie. My God. Yeah, no, the ending is such a blah. I mean, it's re- really, that's sort of the problem. I, and, you know, this is not entirely accurate to the book. So they, you know, they added so many things to try to spice it up. And I, think I don't think it would be interesting even if it was true to the book. I think the characters are boring. Nobody is interesting. No one is really exploring the ramifications of the system they've set up. It's either just I'm in it because I love it and I don't want to change it or I'm forced to go do this mission and figure out how the other half lives and oh, now I'm one over to their cause. It's absolutely one of the most boring plot lines you could ever have. The characters are flat and wooden. Even in the sequences where they're supposed to be having fun, it just doesn't look like they're having fun. Uh, the exception being Jeff Jessica Six, I think she does a pretty good job. Um, but yeah. York, it's just, I don't know. Nothing in this film is exciting unless I'm either laughing at it. The only time Kelly Patrick is the, is the, the circuit sequence. You can just tell he's enjoying that sequence. Maybe it's the robe made him comfy. Maybe it's the whole concept of, hey, I can hit, if I hit this button, I'll get whoever. And there is a nice little pause. When he turns on the circuit, he gets a guy first, and they imply he's bisexual, and they never. Yeah, I mean, it's basically chat roulette, but with a teleporter. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Honestly, the lifestyle sequences are probably the most fun part of this film, because when it's trying to be serious, it sucks. Comedy. It's it's it, this film really would work better if it had been a comedy instead of a try to be a straight action science fiction adventure. Which I mean, and something else we haven't really discussed are the um, the monorail. Cars. <laughs> they were golf carts it's... originally, which is my favorite. <laughs> I have so many fun facts because there are so many fun facts about this film um, that I'll go into yeah. here in the last few minutes of the discussion. But I really want to talk about this film. For so much, it's they spent a ton of money. The special effects look like they're out of a mo- out of a TV set. The characters are boring. Nobody is exciting in this film. It doesn't matter who you expect. Even Box, Box, it looks dumb, no. but he's boring. It's like, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing exciting about this film. It, it's it's a it's a, it's a killer. Yeah, robot. but he's like the world's worst <laughs> killer robot. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna kill you, but only after I get around to it. And I, I, the actor inside is doing what he can, but he's not given much to work. And I think that may have been part of the no, problem. It, yeah, I mean, it, once again, it's a case where maybe they had the wrong person directing. So, what well, I mean, and the thing is, throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and even the past decade, there's been talk of a remake that's going to be more faithful to the book, which I think as we both agree. Is that really necessary? I mean, it can't be Any worse than this. There are quite a few differences in the book. Uh, we already talked about the age limit. We talked about Carousel being a thing holy for the movie. Um box in the book runs a prison under the arctic which is why it's cold whereas the movie it's just this random ice cave where he freezes people um in the book francis is actually one of the heroes um and yeah because they didn't want to extend the film uh in the movie he's the bad guy um in the book sanctuary exists it's actually a colony or a space station near mars 
uh, in the movie it doesn't exist. In, in the book, city the city doesn't explode. The, the implication in the book is that the 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 or the computer that's running everything is slowly, slowly starting to sort of wear out and grind itself away, and that you know it's gradually sending out people to try to to figure out what's going on. In the movie, they just blow everything up, and you're just like, all right, well that was fine. It's just. <sighs> Yeah, we're, we're live in the it looks great. Like the film looks pretty good in places, but then you see something like box and you just start laughing. We've already talked about the guns. Yeah. Um, this was the first film with Dolby stereo sound. That's that's a and that's a big deal because you know. But I you see you wonder where would the, I mean, you know, we've seen it on television or on DVD and whatnot. I don't see. I guess the carousel sequence you'd probably that'd be a good use of Dolby stereo sound. Uh, maybe for some of the I guess the chase sequences that might work, but we're kind of in a. I don't think they had the right sound people working well, on. Well, nobody this had film, done it. You know, they, this was the first, so it's not that great. Uh, the hologram yeah. and the interrogation scene; those are all real holograms, and uh, the director is on record stating that they looked much more impressive in person than they did in the film. <laughs> And I believe that because, once again, I don't think they were using the right aspect ratio or film stock for a lot of this to work. I have a feeling this might have actually worked better if they used a older film stock or even something, you know, closer to what, you know, Star Wars would, yeah, what Lucas would pick for Star Wars. I mean, this is, it's just that kind of weird bit where this is the kind of film you would, the way it's shot is more like for a comedy or, you know, uh, it feels not. I don't know. I think it could have worked. It just, and this movie made a lot of money. I mean, this was a very popular film. I don't understand yeah. why, but it was. Uh, so this, it, well, once we're in between. Uh, okay, so seventy-five, you have Jaws. Star Wars is seventy-seven. So what? What was the big in seventy-six when this movie comes out? You got Rocky. Yeah. You got stuff like. Uh, you've got Network. You've got a lot more heavier, darker, gritty stuff. So you need this is the escape. Uh, well, it certainly made here. me want to run away. Um, more fun facts. This movie won award, won several awards for special effects because it was groundbreaking for the time. Uh, we're just a couple, of, we're just a few years from uh, Industrial Light and Magic, um, really blowing the world away. But for the t for the era, they were supposedly good. Um, the miniatures of this uh, that were used in this film, specifically the cityscapes, were used as background and lots of background elements were used so many times in other films. Um, there, the miniature of the city was reused in Ice Pirates. Uh, it was also. That, that alone. Know, is, uh, it was also used in Mork and Mindy season four episode The Honeymoon as part of the planet work. And some of the background elements were used in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Tapestry. Uh, you can see them through a window in one of Picard's rooms uh, in one of the shots. Um, the ruined Senate set is actually the set from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington that they remade or, you know, made up to be ruined because it was already kind of decrepit, so they just sort of threw some fake vines on it and went, wait, went wait. to town. And, you know, that movie was in 1938, so they sat on that set. <laughs> well, a, a lot of the sequences of the ruins, right, of, like, when they're wandering through the ruined landscape of D.C., is just the old MGM backlot that they had left to rot for years. Yeah, yeah I mean, you kind of get the idea, like, okay... We can use all this junk we've been wasting, we've just been sitting on. And, and I give them credit. They're like, hey, that's a good idea. It, visually, that part works. But the stuff that they built for, 
for the some of it some of it's fine some of it's, it's not like it's very much a clash i really like the computer with the three big lights on it i just think that looks very 70s cool yeah. um and then you've got the guns which look like they look like uh whammo air blasters that now shoot fire for some reason um <laughs> you've got uh so farrah fawcett is in this film like one of her first roles before she got yeah. uh huge especially in charlie's angels this is pre-charlie's angels um yeah, only by a few months too. Like we're talking, because Charlie Daniels comes out like. Yep. That. Uh, well, she was originally just going to be a random extra, but uh, Michael York basically said, "You should probably use her for something because she's cool." And they did. They used her as an assistant to one of the doctors, uh, in one of the sequences early on. Uh, it's not much of a role, but it's it's a speaking part, and she does a decent job. Also, it's I, Farrah I, Fawcett. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in in that outfit, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's that's the thing. You get somebody actually a rising star in this film in a in a small part, but probably more namesake than a lot yeah. of the other people in yeah, this well, film. Unfortunately, uh, as another fun yeah. fact, you've also got uh, one David Hasselhoff actually modeled the costumes for the Sandmen in a in a uh, promo shoot. So that happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, yeah, and now uh, I think we should point out, unfortunately, the director, you know, he, you know, you know, we're talking 20 years earlier, he gets an Oscar for best film. This, yeah, he makes this movie, and then basically the rest of his career, he's doing bad, low-budget uh, TV movies, almost as kind of like a punch, because he makes more <laughs> work <Orca>. <laughs> that, that movie, man. <laughs> bad rip-off of God. And after Orca, he basically, from that point on, is doing low-budget TV movies for the rest of his career. So I don't know if this movie kind of killed. I mean, it was a hit too. That's the thing. It was a hit, but it, it clearly had a stink on him for the rest of his career. Oh, he directed Logan's Run. And let's not. Oh, forget, they, they did. Uh, I didn't actually movies. sit down to watch the TV series because there's like 12 episodes, and I was like, no, nah, I'll pass. But it's basically, it's the movie just told over the course of a TV series rather than in the two hours. Yeah, it, you know, that was. Th- that was the thing they did in the seventies. The Planet Apes had a TV series. If you could, if you could spin it off, you would. And, and, and the thing is, at a cheaper budget. But uh, uh, and you know, I, I know I watched like one episode a long time because Sci-Fi Channel would, you know, you know they do those marathon days. It's Monday. We're gonna show all of. Hey, don't Auto you Man. knock Auto Man, man? <laughs> That's a good. <laughs> no, but I'm saying the point was there was not there was only enough episodes for really one day marathons. So they did a uh, Logan's yeah, Run boy, that that film. So uh, there were two sequel books that were written: uh, Logan's World, which has Logan coming back from Mars to visit Earth, and then Logan's Search, which is just Logan goes to an alternate reality version of his own world and fixes the same problem again. It's not. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about those books. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, and when you bring that, that reminds me. I'm so worried Ready Player Two is going to be that basically. Oh, is, is there a Ready Player Two? <laughs> Comes out in November. They just announced the plot line is he finds another... Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll or... pass. Thanks. I, I'll oh, wait. It's actually going to be a book, too? <laughs> oh. It's a book. Yeah, he, er, the book has been written. So I'm like, ah, I'll, uh, I'll check out the library. Yeah, I think I'm going to pass. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, final thoughts on this movie. Do you want to take? You want me to start it, or do you want to start? My final please, thoughts please is, um, if you really like nostalgic seven, if you want to see 
like almost the epitome of 70s science fiction before Star Wars. As Tom said at the opening of this, this is the movie to watch. It has everything that early 70s sci-fi had. Um, you know, a, a very weird theme, a very sort of surreal story. Like, the, the story is really weird and told in sort of this weird way. Um, the special effects, again, while well, groundbreaking at the time, just do not hold up. And some of them just looked bad in the beginning. I don't know how, I don't know why they put them on screen in the first place. I found the movie to be kind of boring. It's not terrible. I've seen worse films, but man, just nothing. Like even the action sequences are not. They're just dull. And this movie is aptly named "Our Hero Is a Sandman" because he puts me to sleep. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think you know uh, we should. The one thing we really discuss is it's definitely a very Pro man, even the uh, perspective, you know, it's it, they. They seem to be way more the woman's in distress case, even though she's the smart of the two. Uh, but she's, you know, we we get a lot more like random nudity in this film, even though it is PG. It is a definitive seven mid seventies film. It's like you can, I would, I'm not gonna say you can see the cocaine everywhere. It's not. It's just, the, but it's the it's what happens when guys in their fifties who. Uh, think this is what should be made because you can see too many people worked in this film they're way too old to be working on this film not acting but behind the scenes and of course they cast a guy who's too old to play logan so they make adjustments here and there and you know i wouldn't call it a compromise as much as well it just kind of points out a problem which is some books if you're going to adapt you got to have to take some risks this film actually kind of i think played it safer in the wrong way and uh, I, like I said, it's a, it's worth a watch. Is it worth a rewatch? Maybe, but it's you know once again you know your miles. <laughs> I, I would certainly watch this as a part of a group with a lot of booze and the expectation that I would talk through the entire film because I would talk through this entire film. Yes, this is this is a this is a prime candidate for the MSC3K treatment, and it's you know you you can there like I said there's great things to talk about and plenty of things to, to make fun of and. The fact is, if they'd gone for a hard R, it might have been a, and maybe a darker film. It might have worked. That, which is why you keep hearing every few years, so like, oh, Ryan Gosling's going to star in the new version of Logan's Run. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star in the new version of Logan's Run. David Fincher wants to adapt Logan's Run. You hear about all these people who are like a little more edgier people wanting to do Logan's Run, and it never actually happens because I think the same thing. They'll they'll they look at him like. It really wasn't worth making the first time. So, so as another final the point, there is another film in this sort of um, era that is what I consider a contemporary, not a direct contemporary like same year, but a contemporary of Logan's Run called Silent Running, which Good. has literally one person and then three robots. And those robots have more personality in them than almost any act, actor or actress in this film, with the exception of the of the actress who plays Jessica Six. I really think the actress who played Jessica Six did an excellent job, and yeah. she's wasted in this film. But I, I mean, it, again, very popular film. I don't know why. I cannot tell you why this film was popular, other than perhaps all the rampant nudity. But there were so many other films of this era that had <laughs> that too. That were probably better films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many? How- 12-year-olds just kept going to see Logan I, Run. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I honestly wasn't born yet when this film came out. A fact, 
it had to have been a factor. I, you just have to. This had to have been something they screened at like drive-ins the whole summer. You know, they would. You know, they would. You know, it would be like on a double bill. You'd see Logan Run and Rocky, just because those were the two films that were probably okay to watch uh, feeling depressed as opposed to a lot of the other big hit films of the, of the that, that's certainly well we're definitely going to leave this on a very meh note this is a very meh film um, I would watch it just for the entertainment value because there's a lot of inter- unexpected entertainment that was not intended by the filmmakers but apart from that you're not getting anything interesting in a story there's a few interesting bits at the beginning after that it really just sort of devolves into a generic 70s adventure film uh with a space theme with a sci-fi theme so you know meh yeah i mean it's yeah it's, it's like, like an epcot version of a sci-fi like movie <laughs> and it's like it's like the, the, this like it's like they epcot looked at the, when they really epcot they looked at logan run like okay here's what they got right and let's <laughs> throw on everything all right man i think that wraps up all my thoughts all right uh folks if you enjoyed this podcast please tell your friends about this you know we're finally making some headway uh, uh over the week we found out we hit a thousand hits on uh, uh according to our anchor so uh please check us out um and some of you may have heard the announcement uh spotify's uh made some uh, special deals with us so there's gonna be some spotify only shows but that's only for like mini episodes i'm not gonna uh, yeah. I, occasionally if we have a really special episode i may make some edits and do a shorter spotify only version but uh please check us out on twitter the good bad and nerdy uh, uh pod and also on facebook uh, fans of good bad and nerdy movie podcast check it please hit us up if anybody's listening and you uh, have any questions or love to uh, tell us your favorite parts of Logan's run, anything. I mean, if, if you are the biggest fan of Bob, Absolutely, we I want, want to know. know. Uh, please. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I got to know who thinks that's a great robot. Uh, please uh, hit us up on social media. Uh, we would love to hear more. Uh, and we'll keep, well, we'd love to get a little discussion about this one going. So, and thanks again for listening. Well, I guess my hat, my, I'm starting to go. Uh, uh, well, red, so you're running. Run. I'm chasing you, but unfortunately, my gun just malfunctioned, so you're safe. <laughs> yes! Now I got to Yeah, that's all you, buddy. Peace to death. <laughs> all right. See you all next time. I think that was well done. All right, uh, I could have gone for another 10 minutes, but I'm glad we stopped it where we did. No, no. I mean, that's the thing. Is I, I thought 30 minutes would be enough. You know, we, we hit about 40, and that's probably.